This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Warden's Watch, Episode 112. Chris Gilkey, Ohio Game Warden. And we're going to continue with this podcast out on Ethan Justinger's front porch. And I know I coined it last time, planes, trains, and automobiles, but this time I'm going to say Apache helicopters, excavators, and yes, I'm going to keep the train. I kept the train in there because during this podcast, you're going to hear the train blowing its horn. I could have cut it out, and I'm like, nah, I want you guys to experience the front porch uh, in Utah, as we uh, had all these uh, sights and sounds sitting around doing podcasts on Ethan's front porch. Uh, perfect setting, if you ask me. So I just wanted to bring you guys into that. So I'm going to read a few uh, reviews here on uh, from Apple Podcast here. And it's just, uh, and maybe I've written read some of these before, but I'm going to read this one again if, if I read it before, but I might not have. Literally the best. Great title. I have never written a review for anything, but after feeling guilty about not writing one last week when Wayne didn't get any new reviews, and then subsequently forgetting to write one, I just had to do one this week. I am an Army Conservation LEO, Law Enforcement Officer, and absolutely love listening to the podcast while I'm patrolling. It helps me learn so much and inspires me to be better every day I go out. I get excited every week that I see a new episode pop up. This podcast introduced me to NAWIA, the North American Wildlife Enforcement Office Association, IGW, International Game Warden Magazine, and the Joe Pickett series, my current audiobook obsession where there's no new Warden's Watch episodes. Thanks for the great work, guys. Love the podcast. So if I read that once before, I, I'm, I'm happy that I, I read it again. <laughs> uh, this one, inspirational. Uh, Wayne and John do an excellent job bringing diverse group of individuals together that share the same passion of conserving and protecting our natural resources. 
the podcast feels more like old friends sharing stories around a campfire rather than an interview. As an inspiring conservation police officer here in Virginia, I surely appreciate the work that goes into bringing these stories, experiences, and lessons learned to a platform available to everyone. Wayne, I am currently a hunter education instructor here in Virginia and would love to connect you with a Virginia CPO for your podcast. Keep up the good work. And I would love to do an interview with a Virginia conservation police officer for sure. So let's do that uh, for sure. Great. Thanks uh, again for listening. Share. Let's grow this podcast. People like minds listen to like things. I share podcasts all the time and certainly share my own a lot. So uh, guys, I appreciate you listening and I appreciate your support and those great reviews on Apple Podcasts. So here's Chris Gilkey talking about one of probably a case of a lifetime. But I, I, that's kind of a challenge too because he's he's got 18 years in here. So he's got plenty of time left to top this one. But this is a epic case about a deer called Big Boy. And we'll continue this on down the road too. Enjoy it. I did. On this Warden's Watch, we're doing an, another front porch interview in Utah. But not with a Utah game warden this time. It's kind of odd. We got an Ohio game warden in Utah. Pretty much doing the same thing that I'm doing here. But we're, we're very happy to have Chris Gilkey, and I said that right? You did, yeah. Excellent, from Ohio. And Chris and I have been playing this tag game, apparently. We, we've been at, like, I think we dialed it down to, like, four different events. At least. A minimum a minimum of four events that we've, we've uh, just missed each other every time. Yeah, and just haven't had the opportunity to hang out or make that connection. This time we did, and uh, I'm pretty happy we did because I've enjoyed your company. You know, so first time uh, sitting down with Chris McCabe and you uh, interrupt your conversation. That's what kind of like set it all off. And we had a, a very interesting, fun exchange with three, ga- three game wardens. And I, I enjoyed it. You know, the crazy thing is, Wayne, is, uh, you know, it kind of sparked an idea, too. Like you walk up in the middle of it and we have three officers talking. And then that's when we found out that we'd crossed paths so many times and, exactly. just, and just barely missed. But I think in the last week here, we have more than made up for that. We have. We I have. mean, yesterday, I mean, come on. How could we beat yesterday? An epic fishing trip. Epic. epic. Yeah. Had a great guide, though. We did. Yep. Ethan, Ethan, he just drove the boat, didn't he? Well, but you got to give him more. It's his, <laughs> it was his boat, right? we got to give him more credit than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he got the, the other guy to, to send us in the right directions. He set the formula up for a perfect and every time i talked to another boat they were like how many fish do you catch i'm like i think i boated around 15 they're like what <laughs> yeah that's right and our, our both of our first cutthroat right yes yeah. absolutely beautiful so, beautiful fish absolutely yeah that was that was so much fun and then for me to be sitting and i don't know about you but on a utah lake that was my first time being in a western lake where trees aren't surrounding it and you can see forever. It was uh, it was it was really cool. I enjoyed that uh, just that experience. Got some wicked good sun, and I said wicked good because that's an eastern term, but <laughs> wicked good uh, sunset pictures. Yeah, so. it was great. I mean, it's it's so so nice to be able to come out west here, and that that was my first experience on a on a western lake as well. And you know, not be fishing for something like you know walleye or the mm. or the trout that you know we normally fish for in Ohio are raised in a 
you know, raised in one of our hatcheries and then dumped in a, in a, a lake as a put and take. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's surreal to be from Ohio and come out here and mm-hmm. I'm blessed enough. I'm, I'm out here for three weeks. So hopefully this airs way after this. So nobody in my County knows I'm gone. Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, yeah. I guarantee that because okay. I can set that up. Okay. So. I appreciate that. So it's, it's been really cool experience this together. And I think uh, we're from similar countries, uh, especially your areas like near that West Virginia border. Yeah, so Southeast Ohio, Meigs County is, is where I'm assigned, and, mm. and that's actually where I was born and raised. So it took a few years to get back there, but yeah, I, I set right in the foothills, the Appalachian Mountains. Mm. I can leave my house in, in 10, 15 minutes, I can be in West Virginia. So okay. I get the best of both worlds down there. And yeah. Ohio, you know, people that haven't been to Ohio, the northern part of it is really flat. It's it's what we call glaciated Ohio. Yep, and so, all farm fields. Yeah, that's right. And the further south you go, the glaciers didn't reach that far. So, mm. you know, we're blessed with lots of trees and, and hills. Mm. So, you know, Ohio's got a little bit of everything, but I'm a, I'm a southern boy. So, Well, from the east, when we think Ohio, we think of those flat fields with, you know, soybean and everything. But I will say we think big deer, too. Yeah, and that, and that, that seems to be our niche, you know, driving around mm. here. Uh, in Utah, you know, the elk and everything else, We our staples are perch, walleye, uh, wild turkey, and big deer. And yeah, certainly... Big whitetails. Whitetails, that's right, yeah. So, do, do you get fascinated with animals that you don't have in your state? Are you, are you kidding me? Absolutely. Yeah, like, okay. I'm, okay, I, I figured you were the same way as me. So the crazy thing is, is, you know, I think about guys coming to Ohio and they shoot a 115-inch buck, and that's just not a deer that, you know... I want to shoot because I've shot oh, a lot I of them. I kill that all day long. But now I think, <laughs> <laughs> now I think about coming to Utah mm-hmm. and and in the in the first legal elk that would walk out in front of me and and scream. Oh yeah, like that arrow's flying. Yeah, like you absolutely. can you can make fun of me all you want, but you know I can. And uh, Ethan would be there. Don't shoot that door. This bigger <laughs> one coming. You'd be already too late. <laughs> send it. Send it. We've already had this conversation. Yeah. He said, if it's legal, send it. You won't regret it. <laughs> you never do. You never do. So even if a bigger one walks out, it, it, that's part of the hunt. Uh, that's that's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. For sure. And I and I think, you know, I think Ohio, everybody was going to Illinois forever, you know, because of the big deer. And now you are a des- destination whitetail hunting place. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I believe we're still in the top five in the U.S. for whitetails. And, you know, Ohio, it's primarily privately owned, so you do see leasing quite a bit. But the state's done a nice job. We, we Every chance we get to grab a chunk of, of land to add mm-hmm. to that public hunting, that's what we've been doing, you know, to try to give the sportsmen awesome. a place to go. And we're having high success on these public grounds. Mm-hmm. And in my county, there was a 180-inch-plus deer that came off of uh, public ground. And the guys just, it's just out west, just like out west here. You got to be willing to go in and do the work mm-hmm. and, and not just park your car, walk a hundred yards and plant a tree stand. Like, yeah. and if you put that time and effort into it, two or $300 to come hunt deer in Ohio, if, if you think about it, you could get five hunting trips compared to what it's going to cost you to go to Illinois and pay for an outfit and all these things. So I think Ohio is, uh, is definitely on the map for, for big whitetails, as most people know, and it's over the counter and mm-hmm. it's affordable hunt, but also those big whitetails bring problems as we've kind of discussed. Right. They bring poaching. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. John, they bring job security. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, I, I, and I think that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. Right. We're yeah, gonna- absolutely. But a, a case that's kind of unique in that, you know, again, I always, you know, have this conversation with every game when you're never off duty and literally this case starts when you're off duty. 
Yeah, it, it absolutely did. This case actually, I've been on 18 years now, and this case actually goes back to 2010. You don't look that old. Thank you very much. Okay. I appreciate that. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I was going to say, I expected it was much going to be much younger than that. When you said 18 years, I had to take a second look there. <laughs> yeah, well, so, so I, I yeah, I, I'm, I'm 41, so, uh, uh. So oh, I, you're I'm still young. 18 years on, and 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 still feel 25. So still yeah. still loving the job. And when you're 55, you'll still feel 25 because that's what the brain tells you you are. <laughs> that's fine with me. Absolutely fine with me. But this this case, yeah, it goes back to um, you know there's there's some off duty aspects to it. Mm-hmm. I've worked tons of deer cases in my career, and I've made a lot of really nice cases. I've been blessed to work in target rich environments and be able Mm. to put cases together or work with officers where we had big cases to put together. But going back to 2010, this case right here will always stand out to me for numerous reasons. But one of the main reasons is how many connections it had and how it unfolded. Mm. And, And it taught me a lot and listening to Ethan talk earlier about, you know, making mistakes. Well, I still make mistakes. You know, that's mm-hmm. how we learn. And, and he mentioned that too. You know, we make those mistakes and then we never make them again, mm. you know. And, and then we also lay in bed and we think about those mistakes at night. <laughs> I think that's what any any good game warden that's ever been burnt goes home and stares at the ceiling and, and, and plays that over and over and over again in their head. But yeah, but that, yeah that, uh, that's something that I learned on this case as well. And, and uh, it, it worked out though, so. Yeah, and, and again, a hunter... Uh, I'm going to call them deer researchers, actually, because some of these hunters turn into people that research these deer so much now that they, they, they build evidence for us if there's a case to be had in the future, right? Yeah, absolutely, they do. And th- this is kind of how it started, right? It's absolutely ha- how it started. And it was it was back, um, back when still, you know, you didn't have a whole lot of cell cams weren't a thing then mm-hmm. in 2010 not that I, I recall and still yet we you know snapchat wasn't around there was a lot of these platforms social media platforms that that weren't weren't really there but this case started all from so when i ended up in adams county that you know i'm not from there i didn't know anybody and i met a local kid and uh two guys and they kind of took me in actually gave me a place to hunt very and, nice and and as, as a wildlife officer, you're always kind of figure out who's got an angle because some people like to be friends with you because of your title. Mm-hmm. And, and some people, you know, just think you're a good guy and want to help you out. And these two guys, Brad and Ian, were just that. I mean, they were, they were two guys that were genuine. And um, it's like, hey, you're not from here. We're, we're going we're to help you out, give you a place to hunt. And that's how it started with a friendship. Mm-hmm. And then one day... Uh, they called me up and said, hey, man, we, we need to meet. We need to talk. I got something to show you. So they come to my house, and he pulls up a laptop, pops in an SD card, and he's videoing a soybean field. It's a massive soybean field. And on the left, he zooms in, and here comes out a bachelor group of bucks. And I'm talking 140, 150, 160. Like, these were nice deer, really nice deer that anybody would be be you know glad to to shoot Mm -hmm. and i I believe this was around uh july or august and so the beans were still really green anybody that's ever hunted soybeans kind of knows how that works when they're green they're out there feeding in the evenings and as fall comes and they start to turn yellow those deer abandon those summer patterns and you know they go into their fall patterns and they kind of leave the beans when they start to turn yellow until late winter so he pans in on this this bachelor group of bucks i'm like wow so that's impressive and and he just, they just kind of look at each other and smile. And the camera, <laughs> the camera pans out and it goes to the right. And at the far right, he zooms in and 
when it zooms in, it's a jaw-dropping whitetail. And it is a 200-caliber whitetail. And he comes out into the corner of the field way away from every other deer. And they were like, hey, we wanted you to be one of the first to know that we're going to hunt this deer. We have permission on this property. And this deer is going to bring a lot of attention. And we want you to know about it and be in on it from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Which was great. You know what I mean? That those guys obviously included and trusted me, as they should as a county wildlife officer. But they did the right thing by bringing me in so early on and letting me know about it. So they, they follow that deer. They end up putting up a trail camera. And if, if I recall right, the first time they put up a trail camera on a trail, they get this deer on camera. And it's just gorgeous. I mean, it's just a monster. And he's a, he's a six by six, and he's got a couple of stickers on, on one of the, the main, off one of the one main beams. But this deer... So for our Easterners here, that's a 12-pointer with a few click stickers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, six by six, yeah. And, and it, it does Ohio, if you hang a... So this is the comment. If you can hang a ring off it, you count it as a point? Yeah, so I go off of what Boone and Crockett says. Okay, okay. Yeah, just, yeah, uh, yeah. The, I'm talking... See, now, I, I, that might just be a New York thing. You guys are trying to get all the points you can get. Uh, but. There is no doubt. I've, I've had some New Yorkers score some stuff, and they're like, you know, that's an 18-pointer. And I yeah. said, huh? <laughs> yeah, New, New, New Yorker, PA. They, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. In, in in Ohio, or the way that I consider it, if it's an inch or bigger and it's scoreable, that's what I call it. Oh, okay. But, inch or bigger. But you know what? It's your deer, and if it's got 20 stickers on it that are half inch, and you want to call it a, <laughs> a 28 point, you know, be my guest. Okay. I just want to, you know, clarify that for some of us, because uh, it was funny when scoring became a big deal. I, You know, they'd say something about 200. I'd say it was a 208 or something, and they'd be like, 208? Like, yeah, that was the weight of the deer. Because yeah. we, the East, we, we talk about the weight, not so much the scoring. Although that's starting to change. I'm seeing that. So, And I didn't mean to interrupt no, your no, flow. No, so. you're great. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. there's a lot of people listening to this that, you know, don't come from our world. So, you know, we, we yeah. may talk about lingo that somebody doesn't understand. So, yeah, it's good. There that is we certainly lingo. And I we had a main game warden doing some pre presentations, and he called them lambs. And that's a very specific to Maine for fawn deer or lambs. Really? Yeah. Which, it, you know, again, when he said that, I almost said, hey, can you clarify that for everybody <laughs> else in the room, what you're talking about? Because even, you know, we're in a budding state, and we don't call them lambs. We call them skippers. Skippers? Yeah. So that's kind of a New England type thing, because if you said it in Maine, they'd know what you're talking about. You said it in Vermont, but you come down to Ohio, and I said, yeah, I saw a couple skippers. Yeah. You'd be like, what? Yeah, that, 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 would, that, that would equate to somebody skipping a rock across the creek yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. call them fawns. Fawns. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, that, and that's what they are. So, and maybe that's because we felt like shooting a couple skippers sounds like shooting a couple of fawns. Is, it's better than that. So. It sounds like, it's, it's, it reminds me of a case where uh, we were listening on radio conversation and they were using code words. So yeah. I'm, I'm kind of wondering where this was actually developed, Wayne. Like It, it could have been. <laughs> I'm not going to say it wasn't. So, so this epic deer, you know, we're talking what, six by six, so 12 pointer by our standards mm -hmm. with, with some other little... Under yeah, a little junk on it. Little junk on it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. They put the trail camera up, and they literally get all these pictures of this deer immediately. And he always stayed by himself. And these guys started to track him and build him. And it, it was 
it was definitely something I felt confident that these guys opening day of season was, mm. was going to get a shot at. Right. Yeah. And the, no, these two guys were so deserving too. Mm. Uh, I don't recall how they worked out, who was, you knew who was going to shoot, but I think it might've been Ian that was, uh, had got the property yep. and Brad was there to, to just film and, and, and just help him and encourage him. And these guys, these guys deserved it. They were so, they put des- a lot of time into so it. deserving of this deer. Mm. So when this deer shows up immediately, I notify my supervisor and I'm like, Hey, like this, this deer showed up and it's this, in this area. I want to put an emphasis on protection of this deer. This deer is going to cause a stir. And it did. So anytime, okay. anytime a deer of this caliber walks out in broad daylight <laughs> and people can drive by and see it, yeah. it doesn't stay quiet. Yeah. It doesn't stay quiet. And that's the thing, you know, if he would have stayed in and only come out at dark, but that's not what happened. Mm. You know, we're in July, August, and our, our season comes in at the end of September. And so yeah. these deer are out of velvet by then. Our season comes in the end of September, and September 6th, this deer that they had nicknamed Big Boy, and anybody from back east around Ohio, Cincinnati area, Big Boy Frisch's Big Boy Restaurant. That They called it Big Boy because the two hunters, they used to meet up and like go through the footage and have breakfast at Big Boy. So <laughs> so they nicknamed him Big Boy and was, I mean, I would have called him Hercules, but yeah. he was he was a big boy. So September 6th, they lose pictures, no more pictures of him. Uh, he just disappears. And mm-hmm. just like any big monarch like that, it's not abnormal. Right. That's not uncommon. Yeah, not abnormal. So... You know, season, as I had five years on at the time, and this is talking about, you know, mistakes or, or things and other wardens that are listening to this, something to think about, you know, this is a, looking back, it was, I didn't, just didn't think of this. So September 6th, the deer disappears and I was aware of that, but September 26th is when season came in, right? In your head, well, that's 20 days. Nobody can hunt, right? But mm-hmm. season's not in. Right. Yeah. So getting into that mindset of thinking that that deer was such a big deer that there's no way that somebody would want to try to kill it outside of season that that was a mistake so anybody that's got a big deer or 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 has white-tailed deer and and you think that poachers only stick to the seasons Mm. uh, i can i'm here to tell you that's that's not true you know they got all kind of techniques from putting them in the freezer to so and later on in this season or in this story you'll you'll find out you know what happened but uh yeah so that was something that i Looking back, I'm like, man, I, I just did, never thought about that. Right. This story, fast forward, so that's, you know, in September, you know, this deer disappears. And we worked night project after night project after night project, saturation projects of, of officers in the area. And we worked, you know, airplanes and everything else trying to see if we could get somebody that was out there trying to seek out that deer mm-hmm. and take it illegally. And we we made no no cases on that. So... Fast forward to February, the, the next year, I'm at the Deer and Turkey Expo in Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. and I'm actually there off duty, and I'm there, um, I've got a long standing volunteer, I've done a lot of volunteer stuff with the Buckeye Big Buck Club. Mm-hmm. They were the ones who helped me build a resume back when I was just get when, when I was in college. It's kind of like a family with them, so they do, they support the expo and score a lot of deer, so I always volunteer my time with them, which has been great. So I was actually there off duty with the Buckeye Big Buck Club volunteering in the merchandise booth, selling merchandise. Brad, one of the hunters um, that I mentioned, comes up to the booth and he's white as a sheet of paper. And at the time, Brad's wife was actually pregnant and she was pretty far along. And he co- runs up to the booth, which is in Columbus, Ohio, a couple hours from, from you know where we lived mm-hmm. in Adams County at the time. 
and I thought immediately something had happened. Like, yeah, you know, his wife was. Yeah, yeah, anything, yeah. you know. And that, but that's the first thing that popped right. in my head. You, you thought emergency was happening, and he can't sought to you to, for help. Absolutely. So I'm like, you know, what's going on? What's going on? And he goes, he goes, man, he goes, you ain't going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. He's like, you got to come with me right now. <laughs> and and he's like, he's like, it's big boy. And I'm like, it took a minute to register. All right. Yeah. And, and, you know, because, you know, September, October, November, December, January, you know, five months went by. Yeah. And and we knew nobody had killed that deer, right? Because we never heard about it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, big boy, he, he's here at the expo. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, you got to come with me. So we go down this aisle, and there that just beast of a deer sets on a pedestal mount. And he's there with a hunting show. And the guy who killed it, the guy's name was Johnny Clay, and he's sitting there with the deer. And on the placard on this pedestal mount, it says, New Kentucky State Record Longbow Kill. And it was, it grossed 217, 218, and it netted like 197. Mm. The third largest deer at the time ever killed with a compound bow. Typical. A very big boy. A very big boy. Film crew was there, and they were selling DVDs. And, and now, so just so the, the listeners know, Adams County, Ohio, sits on the border of Kentucky. So, you know, do deer swim the river? You know, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, we always say that the big deer killed in Kentucky swam over from Ohio. Yep. So, anyways, but uh, we ended up, I approached Mr. Mr. Clay, and I'm in plain clothes, and I said, you know, man, that's, that's a heck of a deer. And I asked him to tell me the story. So he proceeds to tell me the story, which he also told on video for the for the film crew. Mm-hmm. And they had brought him on after the fact. So they didn't have kill footage of this. They brought him on after the fact about how he was in the tree stand, the deer come in. He made a bad shot. He knew he made a bad shot. He went back sometime later and couldn't find this deer, look for it, look for it. And he just knew that he couldn't give up. And he said he shot it on public land in Kentucky. And then one day he went back and he said he was looking, he was looking, and then lo and behold, you know, there he was, and he found his deer. I just listened to the story, and the whole time in my head, I'm like, okay, like, I I know this deer isn't legal, but how are we going to make this case? You know, what, how are we going to do this? So I I congratulated him, and we left. And I called Ian, the other hunter. He was back in Adams County. He drove up all the video footage of the deer, all the pictures. But in the meantime, Wayne, the biggest problem was I was off duty. Mm-hmm. So I called my supervisor from Southwest Ohio, and I said, I'll never forget it. I called uh, Dave Warner up, and I said, Dave, I said, uh, I said I'm, about th- I'm about ready to make the biggest deer case in the state's history. And he, <laughs> he laughs, and, and he says, yeah. He goes, okay, Gilkey. Mm-hmm. And I said, no. I said, do you remember this deer? And, and he, yeah, he remembered that deer, absolutely. And I said, it's here. It's tagged in as the Kentucky state record. And he's like, well... He's like, you know, keep in mind, Kentucky's a boarding state, but this deer would have had to travel several hundred miles to be able to get to where this deer was killed, and it just mm. didn't seem feasible. Right. So Dave said, Chris, he's like, yeah. I said, I have my gun, my badge, my credentials, everything I, I need. And he said, you know, you're in a different district right now. I've got to call the district supervisor up there, and Kurt Smith at the time was a supervisor, and he called Kurt, and Kurt said, you know, Chris has had some uh, success interviewing, and if he knows this case, let's let's let him do it. So, I was in plain clothes, and you know, normally I'm a uh, I'm a uniformed officer, mm-hmm. so I'm in plain clothes, and they sent over a young officer that wasn't out of the academy that long, named Chris Rice. Just so when we went and contacted him, me whipping out a badge out of my shirt doesn't look as 
believable necessarily as having a uniform guy with me. 100%. So that night, what I did was I researched and researched and researched. And everybody knows that, you know, Facebook, everything else, people put everything right. out there, right? So I did whatever I could to gather as much information as I could to go into this interview. And so I didn't sleep. I, m I might have slept like an hour and a half because... I was either going to be the guy who made a really big deer case or I was going to be the guy who lost. Right. <laughs> so, no, and I, and I only had five years on and, and, you know, in, in five years, you know, you, like you said earlier, you're not green, but you're by no means a seasoned veteran, you know, right. by, by that point. So the next day me and officer rice, we go and we make contact at the booth and I walked up in plain clothes and, and I pulled out my badge and I said, I'd like to talk to you about this deer. I said, everything's okay. You know, it's, it's just a big deer that has come across state lines and we just want to make sure everything is, is okay. And he agreed to talk to us. People in the booth with the TV show started to, I, I felt a little bit of panic and his significant other was there and I could see some, some very, some distress. You know, we were talking earlier about off camera about reading body language and how important that is mm -hmm. and i could see all of these things you know start to come together so chris we'd already had a, a room set up for an interview and we we had taken mr clay to the interview room while i explained to the company what was going on and and why we were doing what we're doing we go in and sit down with mr clay and obviously tell him that you know he's he's free to go you know, at any time, and he, he agreed to consensually, you know, talk to us. So we were covering all, covering all of our bases there, and we told him, you know, anytime you're, you want to walk out, you get up and walk out, you're, you know, you're not, you're not under arrest, you're, you're free to go at any time. Ironically, I start off by talking to him about the deer, and he commits to the story and tells it, tells it verbatim like he had, you know, a million times. And then I pulled out some pictures of Big Boy, the only difference was is these are pictures of this deer in Adams County, Ohio. Mm. And I start to lay one, two, three, four, and he's just looking at it. Eventually, I just set a stack. <laughs> and so, and I didn't say anything, and then I reached over and I pushed play on the computer. And I pressed play, and all of a sudden, it's a film of this deer into the, in the field that I'd witnessed before. And he just, without a beat, he just says, that's my deer. Okay, so, you know, that's one nail in the coffin, right? We got right, into, we, we got identified into it. it. Yeah, he identified that deer, and it was so unique. So we continue on the interview with, with Mr. Clay, and he he says that that's his deer, and then he sticks to a story about, you know, killing it in Kentucky, and he continues to, to go down that path, and so we just slowly, slowly start to shoot holes through a story. And it ends up to the point where he's backed up against the wall pretty hard like mm -hmm. he, he didn't he didn't have any anywhere to go he just he just sat there and he sat there and sat there and, and long long story short we reminded him that you know he was he was actually he was a single dad and there was a lot of stresses in his life and he would he just wouldn't come off of this and eventually we just we just asked him if the deer was more important than his son and his family mm -hmm. because at this point he he had taken it across state lines he committed federal Lacey Act violations, and, and there's a, some pretty severe, you know, right. penalties for that. And it wasn't to the point where we actually asked him, you know, hey, are, are you willing to put this deer above your, your, your son and, our, and your family? Um, are you going to make, 
you know, the truth of priority or put them in a bad position. Cause I mean, it's a, it's jailable. Like you could go to jail mm-hmm. for quite a long time for that. His big deal was, is he, is he didn't want to go to jail. So then we had, a, we had a decision to make cause I, we can't make that decision as officers, right? That's what the prosecutor has to do. Mm-hmm. So we made a phone call to the Adams County prosecutor at the time, briefed him on the case. And the prosecutor said that, you know, with his confession, we would be willing to, uh, make a plea deal that had nothing to do with jail time. Obviously him knowing the judge could do what he wants. So Mr. Clay ends up breaking down and he gives us a full confession. And so this is where a lesson was learned. So the last pictures we had of this year was September 6th. He was in there on September 6th or the day after he was dropped off and he went in there and he shot that deer in the daytime with a bow. And then he obviously took the head off of it and came back and got it later. And then set up and orchestrated the whole story about how it was killed in Kentucky Mm. and how he didn't find it later. Clay ended up coming clean, and we ended up following this all the way till we get to court. And Clay had 13 priors. So following this case all the way till we get to the point where we go to court, what ended up happening once we get in the court is... Uh, Johnny ended up having 13 priors. So mm-hmm. 13 priors for deer poaching, trespassing. When we get in the court and, you know, we'd obviously already discussed the fact about, you know, the no, the no jail time. And people listening to this, that's the thing. I know a lot of times they see us cases go through court and they're like, you know, that guy deserved to have, mm-hmm. he deserved to have, you know, 10 years in jail or he deserved to have this. And we're with you. Yeah, like as officers, agree. we agree with you. But the thing is, is you, you have, you have to have a prosecutor that agrees with you and you have to have ultimately the judge. I mean, the judge is the one who makes the ultimate decision of what happens. So sometimes we have to make decisions to get the most out of this case guaranteed. And it's not always what we want to did. Did he deserve to go to jail? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. But what ended up coming out of this that I was satisfied with, I felt that did the case justice that hurt him way more than any amount of jail time could was in the end result, he pled out and the judge accepted the plea deal. He pled out and took a lifetime hunting rights revocation. So he can never legally hunt again. And then in the violator compact, of course, you know, that's qualifying for all 50, all 50 50 states. He paid, you know, some fines and cost and he forfeited his bow. But the biggest thing was, is we came in with our restitution law. If we got any poachers out there listening, pay attention to this one if you decide to come to Ohio. We ended up doing the trophy restitution law. And that that deer cost him $23,572.05. Just just say that one more time. Yeah, $23,572.05 is what that deer's restitution value. And the judge hearing the judge deliver that sentence and he told him what the value of wildlife was and and he explained to him how he as far as wildlife crimes has had he's had no respect for the law or the resource and therefore he would not be able to legally hunt again and this was the penalty that was going to be imposed mm. and wrapping up all this even with the case and you know we were we were fortunate it was a big case officer rice and i we actually received an 
that year we received the Ohio Bowhunter Officer of the Year Award, both of us did, for our work on this case. That was great, and it was great to be recognized. But at the end of the day, I still go back to Ian and Brad because those guys were robbed. Mm -hmm. And we spend so much of our time as wildlife officers, we're protecting our resources. And some of us look look at us like we're the enemy or the bad guy. But we're out there to protect that resource so you have something to hunt. And, And Brad and Ian... You know, the closest they ever came to this deer was when they got to hold it, you know, before we put it in the evidence compound and, and it was gone forever. Yeah. But without those guys, like I I told him, I said, do you ever think that you were never meant to kill that deer? You were only meant to put the facts together so we could make that case. And in my mind, they should have got an award. Mm-hmm. Like without those guys, all I did was do the interview and put the pieces together. But those guys are the ones who really deserve a lot of this credit. And without them, we could have never put it together. But I, I, you know, I still talk to Ian occasionally. I don't talk to Brad that much, but I talk to Ian. And since I've moved back uh, away from there, and, you know, there's not a time that we don't talk. And, and we talk about that deer. And we talk about that moment. And, and that, that's what poachers do. You know, there's a lot of times that guys, they, they know guys are doing things wrong. And they just won't speak up. Mm-hmm. And, and I really appreciate that hunters, hunters and, and the conservationists that pick up the phone and make a call. Yeah. And we can we can do it. You, you, nobody has to know. You know, we, mm-hmm. we're we're allowed to do it under the radar. But there's so many times that, that guys have a chance to make a difference. And these these were two guys who you know were trying to do the right thing, kill this legally, not have any um, anybody saying that they killed this deer illegally because it was so big. There's a lot of controversy that comes around killing a big deer. Absolutely, you can do everything right, and somebody will still you know. There's a lot of jealousy and stuff like that. So these guys were trying to get ahead of it. And, and at the end of the day, um, you know, I, we feel that justice was served as far as like the case. And even though some people think he should have went to jail, but we feel that the lifetime revocation, the forfeiture and, and, the, and all those other things, the restitution, but still yet, you know, Brad and Ian, um, you know, the only thing they got out of this was the satisfaction of knowing that that deer hangs in our main office and it doesn't hang in a poacher's, uh, in a poacher's den someplace is the only thing that they got out of it. Yep, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Poachers are thieves. They steal from every one of us, whether you're a hunter or a non-hunter. You know, that's, that's an animal that you get to see out there, you get to experience. As a hunter, it's something you could harvest, you, you research, you, you have, it's, it's, it's fun, Yeah. you know, and that's, that's what gets stolen from them. So it was well put. And again, from Ethan's case to your case, Information is key, so support your Operation Game Thieves, your tip. Turn in a poacher. International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, wildlifecrimestoppers.org. Check that out. You can report wildlife crime all 50 states and uh, across Canada as well. So if you don't know how to report, that's the key. There's, There's a way to report and a way to remain anonymous if you wish. These guys certainly wouldn't have. They wanted yep. to. We they wanted him to let them know that we we caught you. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And and that was part of the motivation in this case, mm. and you know, making sure that we did everything right to to do justice for those guys. And you know, you talk about tip programs, and, and a lot of people, a lot of people don't realize this, but there's money involved in that. Mm-hmm. Like the these organizations pay money for good information. Absolutely. And and I am humbled. A lot of the guys that make us good cases, like. They don't want a dime. Yeah. But like, like Ian and Brad probably wouldn't have took a dime. Yeah. 
I get, I get. They would have took a replica, but uh, <laughs> and I, good point. <laughs> I, I wish, I, 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 I wish that I could, I wish I could have provided that for them yeah. because they were so deserving. And 100%. and I know there's there's tons of hunters out there that have been robbed, mm. just just like they were. But I'm glad that you know I crossed paths with those guys, and you can't you can't help but think that there wasn't a little divine intervention there with us crossing paths and becoming friends, and then this this case you know kind of intertwined us together and. I never, I never pass a, a Frisch's Big Boy restaurant without thinking about yeah. this case. So, yep. And everybody that listens to this podcast hears those words "Big Boy" will always think of yep. your case and those guys that turned them in and Ohio's Big Boy that was in Kentucky, and that, that certainly I got taken off the books. Yeah, I, so I can remember. <laughs> it's it's funny because I can remember. Um, I mean, anytime you get a deer of that caliber being real big, and I can remember the, the biologist from Kentucky. When it come out that it didn't come from Kentucky, they were like, this was our chance to be on the map, you know, yeah. and then you went and made this case and they, you proved it came from Ohio. But, you know, even Kentucky's got a lot of nice deer. They're mm -hmm. getting their herds getting better and better. But, but yeah, it, it's one of those ones. I mean, you know, I'm blessed. I've been blessed in this career. It's all I've ever wanted to do since I was mm -hmm. six years old. And I've been fortunate enough to make a lot of great cases. But when you, you know, I were talking about a case that sticks out, like that case will mm -hmm. always stick out doesn't have anything to do with the award. It has to do with those guys and it has to do with catching somebody who had broke the law. I mean, 13 priors. I'm proud of that one. Proud of the work that Chris Rice and I did on it. Mm. And it was a, a team effort with a, with a group of good hunters and uh, a little bit of luck doesn't Yeah, it was help. really an Ohio case because you were out of district. I mean, <laughs> it, you had you brought a lot of things to the table on that one. So It was, it was a good one. Yeah, Ohio can be a proud that you, you recovered that deer. Yeah, I'm so, uh, I'm awful satisfied that, like I said, it sets in our district office and and yeah. not not his home. So that's hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's great. I don't get to see it much because I'm not in District Five, but occasionally when I get to the Spring Valley Range, uh, I get a chance to look at it and yeah. and, and remember that day. So it was yeah. a win, win for the good guys, Wayne. Thanks for sharing that, Chris Gilkey, Ohio Game Warden. Thanks for listening to Warden's Watch.